Welcome to the Learning Reinvented podcast brought to you by myself, Katie Gordon, and the team at The Learning Effect. There are lots of learning podcasts out there, so we wanted to do something slightly different. This week, we'll be touching on some links between learning and project management in organisational change. I'm delighted to welcome Chris King to the podcast. Chris, do you want to introduce yourself and tell our listeners a little bit about your background and what you're currently up to? Yeah, sure. Thanks, Katie. Um, so, hi, I'm Chris. Um, I have been working from home for the past four years and I've been a project manager for eight years. Um, I'm currently in the civil service. Um, so just uh, just to note, all, all, all my views expressed are indeed my own. Um, and I won't be talking about, you know, government stuff anyway. So it's totally fine, hopefully. Fingers crossed. Um, I've worked on some really big projects um, in the UK, such as the EU exit work um, that happened a couple of years ago. Uh, I've worked on COVID response at an organizational level, and I've done some stuff around like creating project management offices and portfolio management offices. Um, but it's fair to say um, it's not always been so, so rosy and so high flying. Um, back in 2009, that was when I was at uni, and that was when I failed uni, actually. Um, it was one of those times where I thought, like, I'd totally ruined my life. This is like what you think as a 20-year-old. You're like, oh, my God, that's it. That's the end. You know, we've we failed uni and no degree. Everyone else is going to have degrees. This is just, this is, like, awful. This is the worst possible thing that could possibly have happened. Um, obviously, I'm sat here now, so it wasn't. <laughs> um, and I guess part of, part of one of the reasons thought I, I want to do this podcast and um, some of the things that are going on you know I want to really sort of help people who are perhaps find themselves in that setback position um, just to sort of you know really like let them know you know there are ways to, to progress um, and this was fairly recently so you know 2009 wasn't too long ago I'm not that old just yet um, <laughs> so yeah I, I mean I did some sort of odd jobs um, at hospitals and eventually got a couple of basic admin jobs sort of minimum wage type things um, until I got onto a, a temporary contract um, as a project support officer. And that was what really sort of got me going into the project management space. Um, slight, slightly funny story around me going to that project support role. Uh, I had to ask for permission from my then line manager to um, sort of apply for it because it was an internal loan. Um, and I remember very vividly like being stood next to this person who obviously I won't name um, and them saying, oh, oh, Chris, I, I think that might be might be a bit complex for you. Oh, I'm, I'm not sure you should go for that kind of role, um, which I, <laughs> so I thought, OK, well, maybe let me be the, you know, the uh, the judge of that. And it's only temporary. So if it is, I can always come back. And anyway, ever since then, you know, I've, I've been off and away in project management space. Um, you know, I impressed the people I worked with there and sort of got into the permanent role. And then I was supported in, you know, getting qualifications and, and I've sort of like climbed that project management ladder through uh, PSO work to project management to program management. And as I mentioned earlier, uh, creating a PMO. Um, I've often been brought into working those like crisis type situations. So, you know, like EU exit and COVID both like big, massive, in their own ways, uh, crisis, crises that needed um, like a lot of urgent stuff doing very urgently and very, very sort of high level. Um, so, yeah, that's sort of what I've ended up being doing. I'm sort of the, the fix it man. Maybe I should have been, I should have called myself fix it, Chris. Um, anyway, so recently I've been thinking about how I can sort of give back to others through 
um, sort of my project management expertise and as well as sort of my experience of working from home because obviously you know a lot of people have been forcibly working from home for the past 18 months or more um, and as someone who's done it for a couple of years now I feel like I've got a lot I could sort of help people with and, and offer to them in, in terms of you know what might this light in the future because a lot of people now who are going to have to keep working from home even um, even after you know restrictions lift so I, this, I think this is just there's just going to be a, a whole load of people in future who are you know the number of people working from home is, is only ever going to go up and at the moment I don't think we really have the support mechanisms and people don't really understand organizations don't really understand how best to support people in doing that um, aside from oh you get to you know you get to stay in bed a bit longer in the mornings so <laughs> so surely surely it's perfect it's easy right <laughs> it's not no that, that's awesome I think it's a good time as well kind of coincides with people getting their exam results or previously getting their exam results recently um, and then potentially worrying about that perhaps they haven't got the exam results they were hoping for etc but but you're kind of proof on that you don't necessarily need to do that and you can still be successful in an area that whatever area that you do want to go into so that's really interesting and yeah like we'll, we'll talk more later about kind of working from home and how you can help support people on that as well um just to, just on that on the education point I, I do want to say you know massively respect degrees and and education you know if you can get it and it's something you want to do then that is definitely the best route to go down that's definitely what you what people would want to do if it's right for them and what they want to do I guess from my perspective it's more if you sort of hit that brick wall and struggle and for whatever reason have to have to stop and and take a different route um I guess what I'm saying is is there are other routes it's not it's not the end yes and there is light at the end of the tunnel and it's not the end of the world mm. cool so your area of ex expertise is project management can you explain uh, what that means in a bit more detail? Because obviously it's kind of something that's thrown about quite a lot and, and some people understand it, some people don't. Um, and why it's important to get project management right? There's a couple of, I think, big misconceptions around projects, especially in sort of organisational business world. Um, one is that people seem to think, organisations seem to think, oh, if somebody is good at a skill, a thing that they do you know whether you're a, a data analyst or a you know an, an academy training person um, or if you're sort of a HR expert or or whatever your field of, of expertise is people seem organizations often seem to think well if you're good at that well you can run projects in that field and I'm not saying that isn't true but the, it, it what it that unfairly does is it puts people in a position where they have to um, you know sink or swim learn a lot of of of, uh, of skills and and practices that aren't necessarily what they want to to do, what they um, know how to do, and they often aren't very well supported in doing that. So that's certainly uh, something that people struggle with. And the other misconception is that um, projects sort of go on forever. Because um, the, the most important thing, the most basic thing about a project is it starts. You, we deliver something, a change happens, a thing is created, a website or a doodad or whatever, and then it finishes and it ends and the resources can go off and do other stuff. Um, one of the reasons that it's so important to, to sort of have that good project management um, like framework and understanding where you, where you want projects to happen is you're assessing and making sure that the change you're making is 
the right change. It's right for the business. It's the right time to do it. Um, you know, it's the right opportunity to do it. Um, then you've got making that change happen in as efficient and effective a, as, a way as possible. That's where all sort of the, the fairly stringent sort of methodologies come in and the different ways of doing that. And then finally, you're making sure that, you know, all these changes to a business will inevitably like cost money or time or resource. Um, so, you know, what that project management expertise does is it means that for an, from an organizational perspective, an organization is spending, hopefully, the least amount of resource and money to get the most amount of benefit out of that change, because that change will have benefit in one way or the other, whether it's the bottom line or to bring more customers in or for well-being of people, whatever. I think I've worked in organizations before as well. And I, what, what you're saying there is like having a start and an end date is people aren't quite sure when it that actually turns up and turns into business as usual. Mm. So is that one of the big issues that you, you've seen? Uh, yeah, we, well, so just to, the, you're right. The start and the end definitely are classically done poorly. Um, and it's something like 50% of projects that don't go through a proper initi initiation phase fail um and often when I, me as a project manager often when i get brought in they're already into the, sort of the, the delivery phase you know they're into that middle bit of oh we should have all the things in place and we should be doing the doing the change or creating the things and for some reason it's not working and it's not doing what we wanted to do um so yeah that's certainly one area where there's a big challenge where you need to get project res projects yeah resource and expertise in early to to really ask that question of okay what is the change why is it the right change? How can we assess it? Because if you get all that set up at the start, you understand the answer to all those questions. Then mm -hmm. when you come to the end, you can say, oh, well, we know we've we know we've reached the end now. We know that this thing has been delivered. We have identified what, you know, what are the good things that are going to happen, the benefits. And we have set things up to measure those things so that when those, you know, measurements get hit, those targets get hit, well, we, we know the project's finished and we can start to then do things like evaluation and uh, lessons learned and sort of look back and properly understand okay what has the the change delivered and say hopefully well done everyone you can go off and work on other projects now I think there's a, a real link there to learning as well because it's like but what you're trying to say essentially is that you've got to understand kind of your output and purpose of what you're doing right mm. um, and that's one of the big bits in learning that I think people tend to miss um, and they don't start with kind of like that key objective. What are you actually trying to achieve by mm. creating a piece of learning, for example, or implementing it, a piece of learning technology? What are you trying to solve? What business issue is there? Um, and, and some people are just doing it because other companies that are similar to theirs are doing it or they've seen it on LinkedIn or something like that. And they think that that's the right way of doing it, but they haven't got that real purpose there. So I think people tend to kind of get lost. Um, and, and struggle with that um, and then it kind of fails similar to how a project can potentially go a little bit wrong because you haven't got that real understanding. Exactly in fact I've got a, I've got a, a story that sort of speaks to that um, exactly so in a previous organization I was working at um, you know we were we were trying to make a big change and we wanted to understand uh, we want to have the right tools to be able to sort of measure all of those changes. So myself and another colleague were sent to do training on a piece of software that we were going to procure that we could then use to sort of measure all of our like project change stuff and it would sort of carry on into the future. So it was, you know, it was the right training, learning intervention. Um, 
it was like the right people going and it was at the right time to do it because you know we needed to have this knowledge before we started the majority of the work so you're thinking tick 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 this should be perfect this should be an easy win but the problem was we went off and did this classroom learning over a couple of days learned a heck of a lot um, in that sort of theoretical environment and then when we came back to the business well you know we hadn't actually procured the software in time and and there was delays to that and then other things happened and you go off and work on other stuff and by the time we came back round to saying okay this thing now exists we can start using it that sort of really good learning that we had taken on board had, had gone because we'd lost that that practice we hadn't been practicing it on a regular basis and if you're not doing that then you're really going to struggle to sort of maintain that knowledge yeah definitely i think that that kind of comes back to kind of making sure the content that you're getting or or the type of learning that you're going on is right as well and obviously in your in that example having licenses for whatever software it is uh, at the right time as well is going to help that because like you said you can go to a classroom it can be great learning and you'll remember it for a few days but if you're not doing that continuously that's when things start to go wrong and and or your your knowledge of that just goes doesn't it because mm. especially if it's software and it's a bit complicated or you have to do things in certain orders etc to really get the use out of that that that's what you need to be doing that on a, da a daily basis um so you actually get the proper understanding of it from your explanation, what skills do you have in your role which can be transferred into a learning role, do you think? So, yeah, I think there's a couple of um, really key ones that maybe maybe transfer across across many different um, fields as well as project management and learning. Um, I'd say probably the the first and biggest one is sort of people skills and stakeholder management, trying to sort of understand um, like the different characters that you're working with and how best to present information to them so they will understand it in the best possible way yeah. um, obviously from a project perspective that is you know because usually because i want them to say yes to something <laughs> i want to give them the information so that they can make a decision that, that says yes chris carry on or <laughs> go get that thing and i can go that's it that well done that's a brilliant decision i totally support that i'm going to go off and do the thing i want to do um, and I can see that in from like a learning environment, you know, if, if you're like a, a teacher in a classroom, you know, you probably have to assess the, the people that you're training. Uh, and if you've got like a classroom of people, whether it's a team or, or you know, a school class, then you can have different characters who understand things in different ways. And it perhaps the message needs to be catered and, and sorry, changed to cater to their their specific needs and understanding. Um, and then the other and so that sort of feeds into like, like telling stories as well. Um, which is around, you know, okay, you need to you need to give them a, the information to to learn or to make a decision or to to make progress in the way that you're trying to get them to to make progress, but you need to tell it to them in like a, an evocative way that's that's sort of interesting, captures their attention, makes them invested in, in either that that learning journey or, from my perspective, that that training journey. Maybe the word journey is a really good one because. You know you're going from a project you're going from a state of whatever your your uh you know your team is or your organization is you're going through a change and then you come out the other side with hopefully more more than you had before you're better armed to, to face the world and perhaps learning is the exact same you know you have a person or people who have whatever skills and experience they have they go through that change that learning journey and they come out better armed to face whatever it is that they're 
they're being armed to face. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, th I think you touched on a point there, which, which was actually really, really rings true with learning. Is it is kind of that stakeholder engagement and taking people on that journey because I think you can um, often fall into perhaps being perhaps too detailed about a particular learning project, and you're going way too, way too into way too much detail. Um, whereas if you kind of keep it high level for your your key stakeholders that are going to be your decision makers, etc., you need to sell them that journey, don't you? You need to un make sure that they understand the purpose of what you're doing. It's the right way of doing it, etc. Um, but if you don't do that well, people are just going to say no. Um, but like you said, you want people to say yes. Um, but then equally, when you're working in your teams, you need to make sure that they understand the level of detail so they can then go away and actually do that bits of work. So it is making sure you, you understand your audiences and uh, you kind of pitch to the audiences at the right time. So I know you've worked on some big challenges throughout the last year or so or longer than that. Um, what do you think the, your biggest challenge has been to date? I think that the biggest challenge, so what I've written down here, um because obviously i did do my, my homework and prep ahead of this <laughs> podcast um and i, I had a, i had a good long think about this because you know I, I have worked on sort of covid intervention and eu exit stuff but i think the, the the true answer is mental health um both my own and also sort of the people that i i work with um across various organizations over the past couple of years especially like say the past past um 12, 18 months, um, because as someone, as someone who chose to work from home, you know, I saw it as this sort of great opportunity and and it very much felt like that at first. And then sort of, you know, the, the weeks and months of, you know, getting out of bed late, no, in time for work, but much later than, than usual. And you see, it's very easy to fall into bad habits of getting out of bed late, you know, staying up late because, you know, you can sleep in a bit longer. Um, perhaps not getting properly dressed for work and getting yourself in that mental state for work like a lot of people do when they're perhaps you know getting dressed in, in a suit or, or or business attire or, or on their commute and and then just not seeing people all day every day for, for whole weeks at a time months at a time sometimes and that was something that I, I definitely struggled with um certainly a couple of years ago that hit its peak uh, and then and then I you know sought some support and, and figured out ways to to get around that and certainly prioritize social life and seeing people outside both outside of work but also in work when possible as much as possible having having video calls um making extra efforts to go and and speak to people either on the phone or just like for just for general like catch-ups just like coffee chats rather than has to be about a meeting um so that was you know a really big challenge and that's probably the, the my my big three would be you know definitely lean on family and friends and support and try and see them as often as possible um if you're a home worker and then also try and see your colleagues as often as possible too even if it's in a virtual setting because even just talking to somebody over the phone you feel a lot closer than if you're just spending days or weeks at a time just through email just through instant messenger and then when i say others too so i i sort of i've been through that journey and and certainly recognize that working from home is not plain sailing it has as many issues that you have to struggle with compared against the benefits you may have of, of not having to commute and saving on petrol or train fare um and then when it's like so when covid hit you know all of my colleagues then 
were sort of forced into that that same that same challenge and even worse than that they weren't able to necessarily see their their family and their friends as often as they would have liked it was an extreme version of of what i'd previously experienced so for me a lot of the time i spent was ringing around messaging around emailing around different teams and people that i knew um across like i'm talking like hundreds of people here to try and make sure they were all okay and coping because i was very able to recognize is, you know we'd have say big conference calls and certain people who who would um you know would often be quite lively meetings were, were being put my camera on today i'm not really feeling quite up to it all those like little red flags that i'd uh, had experienced in myself i was then you know trying to to identify in others and to to sort of do that well-being aspect because you know everyone everyone struggled over the last year um and i was in a fortunate position that i i could sort of help and really um you know, reach out to people with, with, I don't know, just with like a helping hand, not necessarily telling people how to be better because everyone's, you know, ways that they're going to be um, fixing those problems or finding ways to get through it are going to be different. Um, but just generally recognizing that, that people needed that, that um, face-to-face contact or whatever contact and they didn't have it. Yeah, definitely, because we're in a similar position to you because we work from home for, well, I've been working from home for two years now. Um, so I was I was used to that when lockdown happened, but then you had all the other differences as well where you weren't able to go out as much, <laughs> apart from your daily exercise, you, you weren't able to see your friends, etc. So that is something that was really difficult. Um, and working in a small business, you're kind of limited to the amount of people that you were speaking to anyway. So I think your colleagues sound like they were lucky to have you to kind of draw in your own experiences and to help them along the way. Um, rather, because I think that's what they needed as well at some points is just to have a, a general conversation. Because like you said, not being in an office environment, you, you kind of miss out on those conversations that you might have when you're making a cup of tea or just when you walk into the office saying hello, how was your evening, talking about TV programmes, things like that. I think they're the bits that we kind of take for granted. And 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 when you start losing those, you, you, your life literally just turns into doing work or um, having an evening which is based around like Netflix or Amazon or whatever, you know what I mean? But that lacks real social interaction. Um, and that can be really mentally draining after a certain amount of time. But but like you said, people might not even realise that that is happening and they're, 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 they might not understand those red, red flags that they're seeing as well. Yeah, then you you know you've touched on like the other big red red flag that I didn't mention is people who aren't able to turn off, and they you know because they're working from home at a desk they might sit at normally anyway, then they can just go beyond five, six, seven, eight, nine o'clock. I mean, I, I had an email just a couple months ago that someone had sent through at twenty to one in the morning, and I'm like, <laughs> what are you doing? You're going yeah. to burn out if you carry on working like that. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, just telling people, look, go go have a weekend, go have a night, just turn off the computer, please. Yes, yeah. I found moving around my house was more helpful as well, like changing rooms and kind of changing scenery. And I'm I'm lucky enough to have a garden, so when it is nice weather to sit outside. But I know obviously there's a lot of people that weren't that lucky to to have that, and they might be stuck in apartments, flats, whatever. Um, and that's something that people really did struggle with as well. For those out there who'd like to get into project management, how would they go about doing this? So as I kind of alluded to earlier, project management is a bit of a blessing and a curse in terms of, um, I don't know, if you're looking to get into it. 
um, it's a blessing because I think project management is one of the, you know, in a way, it's one of the easiest fields to get into because a lot of people accidentally get put into it anyway. Um, and I'd say as well, it's probably one of the few fields where there's, there's quite a clear route, um, like a career path. There's a quite a clear career path from, you know, um, not, I don't want to say low paid, but like there's like the entry point of being like a project support officer is is very accessible whether you have a degree or not. Um, and you know, a good PSO adds massive amounts of value to a project. So it's definitely a really worthwhile road role. It's definitely a really worthwhile I can't I can't speak. It's definitely <laughs> a really worthwhile role. There we go. <laughs> um that, that can do loads to 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 make a project go really well. Uh, and then you you know from there you can get the experience to be a project management project manager and then up to a program manager who you know can, might manage a suite of projects um that all either are clustered together into one big program of work or split, spread across a number of different projects uh, and then you've got routes into um creating portfolio management offices or just to sort of you know essentially being a project or program manager but at, at bigger and bigger levels in terms of the amount of money that's at stake the amount of people and resources i mean you know the commonwealth games is happening next year it's basically a project so you know running the commonwealth games could be an attainable goal for someone who starts out as a project support officer um although i guess the next one probably won't be for another 20 years in the uk but you know events <laughs> of that kind of scale are, 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 are sort of the you know the top tier of project management. Um, there are qualifications that are really important to get. Um, at, at the same time, there's a number of different ones and, and different um, methodologies that exist. You know, there's, you've got the government prints too. Um, there is the Association of Project Managers. Um, I think you had someone on the other week with um, Lean Six Sigma, which is you know yeah. one of the, one style of of um, I think it's continuous improvement, but it's in that that space of, of change delivery, and that's certainly a route that someone we go down if they start in projects they could go more into continuous improvement and then you've got things like agile methodology and all these things you know you can go you can either if you get into a, a larger organization like i did like such as a civil service or like a deloitte or someone like that then um a lot of them will will sponsor you and fund you to go and do these qualifications and a lot of them have foundation qualifications too that sort of give you a sort of an entryway into it like the fact like the prince 2 foundation is just like a three-day course and you finish off with a 50 question multiple choice test I think but it's you know it's a recognized qualification um that you can put onto your CV and it will it will support you throughout your your career journey um uh so yeah um the the, the curse part is that a lot of because people accidentally get put into project management roles because they're good at their day job whatever that may be sometimes that speaks to organizations not properly valuing that project management role and not seeing it as its own distinct Thing with its own distinct set of you know characteristics characteristics and, and methods and practices which are all really important to do well and to do right if you want your project to you know to deliver the benefits you're looking for to deliver that change really well so yeah um i think in, in a way a lot of people who accidentally um find themselves as project management project managers some some of them swim and just really take to it and that sort of takes them off on a whole different career journey and I think for some people they end up sinking and being a bit overwhelmed by it because they haven't been properly supported by an organization that doesn't properly recognize it as a distinct role 
And then they're like, oh, I, I'd hate the word project. I don't ever want to be involved in one again. So it can get a bit of a bad reputation in some places as well. Um, but I think if, if you've either experienced that or you know of other people who have, I would very much be think I'd very much be sort of not putting the blame, but I'd be thinking, okay, well, how did that organization not support that person in in that project management space? Because there is there, there are so many things out there to support um, project managers. Um, and also, I guess, wondering why they put someone who doesn't want to be a project manager in that role in the first place. Yeah, I think you need to properly interview for that, don't you? Not just going on what skills people have. And I think um, you said about the different qualifications. Like I did my Prince 2 a few years ago now. Um, and one of the, the key bits that I picked up from doing that and then kind of working within the project environment is that understanding that why you're, while you're learning lots of different elements to the project and um, that there's lots of different aspects to it, that you don't need every single one necessarily for every single project. If the project's quite small, you're not going to go through the whole kind of theory behind Prince 2 because otherwise you'll probably spend more time doing that than you actually do on the project. So it's kind of like taking those key bits and it's not just sitting down with your big textbook going, right, so I need to start here with my my business plan, then I need to do this, blah, 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 etc. So that's one of the key learnings I had. <laughs> you're, you're, you're so right there, Katie, because in fact, that's one of the ways that project management is a curse in the other direction, in, in the way that sometimes um, a, a company might decide, oh, you know what, we, we recognize project management and it is, a, it is its own specialism and it's really important and we're going to invest in project management. And they come down with a massive text, text like the whole Prince2 textbook or or whatever and they say right every single project will be run by every single page in this 300 word you know textbook um, and we will follow every single process and everything will be done like incredibly well because we are following the textbook um, and that's where you know a, a good project manager can shine because if they understand the textbook and they understand um, all the different sort of methods and practices then they can as you say they can pick and choose they can cut because you should customize every single project. You should customize all the methods that you're using and the different rituals or governance structure or whatever to to suit that project. And then you cut away all the all the rest of the fat. It's it's kind of like you know a, a project management textbook is like a piano in the sense that it has all of the notes. But if you want to play, you know, a, a really great piece, you don't need all the notes. You just need the ones that sound good together. And it's the mm -hmm. exact same with a project. That, that kind of resonates with learning as well, because I've seen it so many times where people leave one organisation and then they'll go into another organisation and they'll li lift, literally like lift and shift their training throughout each organisation. So they're not making that personalisation to that. So it, as much as the theory behind it might be similar or the same, you need to have that personalization for that particular organization because it might not work because your audience might be slightly different they've got a different culture there they've got a different type of system that they're using for learning they might deliver learning differently there's so many different things that could impact that that you can't just then take that that piece of learning that you've done once about 20 years ago things change as well i had i in one of my first admin jobs i created this absolutely fantastic filing system with like paper folders and, and and the big filing drawers, I can't I can't use that now. We don't have the paper. Yes, yeah, exactly, exactly. Things have changed. You can you can transfer it online and use your filing system on your computer. But yes, exactly. So I can see from your LinkedIn you run a community uh, of professionals. Can you tell us a bit more about that? 
Yeah, I can talk about that. And the the two big things that um, I was seeking to try and find an answer for or to sort of like help solve both for myself and for other people um, is one, that, that work from home like community. So as someone who works from home, I would absolutely love the ability. I mean, I loved being in the office and certainly going into the office when I, when I used to. It was fantastic because you get to talk to people and see people all the time, which is, you know, brilliant as someone who's hidden away at home quite often. Mm-hmm. Um, so one one of the reasons for that uh, community, the one of the reasons I set that community up is so that people can have that like more personalized contact so that they can, you know, talk to each other online whilst they're working from home. But also it's it's very much that, you know, I remember going, you go into the office and you get there on Monday. It's like, oh, how's your weekend been? You talk about, you know, if you'd watch Love Island or something else or some good place, you've gone for a, a meal. Someone had just come back from holiday, you'd hear their stories. And it's, it's a lot harder to do that now in work when we're all virtual or working from home. Well, the majority of us are because all the meetings that you go to usually are the reason for them. You know, it's a team meeting or it's about a deliverable or it's an update on something. Um, and sometimes yeah, I, I see people trying to like sort of shoehorn the first two, three minutes into that, like trying to give all that sort of office conversation. But it's it's hardly anything so one of the reasons one things that we're doing in that community is we're having those conversations throughout the day and so and it can involve little it can involve little complaints about work sometimes you know if you receive like a angsty email from someone you can just sort of go to the community and be like oh just had that email from this person and it, you can sort of vent a little without having the potential for the professional um backlash you might have if, if you try to do that in the actual office um so that's one thing there. So it's 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 reaching out to people who work from home. It's giving them like a bit of a community that they can talk to, and it can hopefully make them feel less like they're just sat at home alone. And then the other is sort of the project management professionalism. Uh, you, you mentioned about um, you've seen people sort of take a whole like learning suite of documents and just shift to the next organization. Um, in a way, partly what we're doing it because most of my uh, network is a uh, project managers or, or people involved in change and what we're doing in that community is we are creating sort of different training tools for different um, aspects of project management with a massive focus on like understanding the theory and and then understanding how and when to apply it in practice so it's about giving people a set of tools that they can take with them but then when they apply it they customize it to the organization rather than Oh, I'm just going to give you this textbook that's my textbook rather than the Prince 2 textbook. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, we, I mean, we're, we're right at the start of doing that. And I've got a couple of really, really good people from across different change man- management communities um, and my network involved in that. So I'm really excited with where we can take that. But, you know, we could always do with more people who are interested in that kind of thing, giving us their feedback, being involved with, with putting things together. So, yeah, certainly if anyone's interested in that, just give me a message on, on LinkedIn or something. Oh, that's awesome. It sounds like a, a good place to kind of collaborate, especially for those that like interesting in in the interested in the project management field, but also those kind of working from home. Thank you for joining me today, Chris. If people want to connect with you or find out more about you and project management, how would they get in touch? Uh, so, I mean, if if you put Chris plans it or one word into Google, odds are I'll come up in one form or the other. Um, so if you put Chris Planzer into Google, you're likely to find me on LinkedIn. Um, you're also likely to find me on Twitter. 
to um, and you may even find me on YouTube and Instagram as well but Instagram is basically just pictures of different teas and coffees that I've bought um, so if you're interested in that feel free to go there but yeah I, I can be contacted on on well mainly LinkedIn and Twitter is probably the best place to go awesome thank you we'll, we'll add the links to the show notes as well so people have got those there mm-hmm. thank you very much again Katie thank you so much for having me it's been a pleasure talking to you Thank you for listening to this episode of the Learning Reinvented podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. You can register to join the Learning Effect community. The link to do so is in the show notes below. If you've not already done so, please follow our podcast. And if the Learning Effect can help you and your organisation, please do get in touch. You can find both James and Katie on LinkedIn and our contact details are in the show notes below.